Well, good morning, Hope Church. Good morning. It's a good new year. Praise the Lord. To think that for one year now, we have been Hope Church. God definitely led us the year before that, informing what would begin as a new work, Hope Church. And I can see now a full year of God in His ways and in His purpose and intention, having formed us to what we are today. And I know that He's going to continue to lead us forward. Well, welcome. If this is your first time, so glad that you can be here this morning. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors. Uh, we have a co-pastor here. Uh, Ruben here is a co-pastor, and he'll be teaching our Spanish service. He taught last week in both services. Thank you for doing that. Gave me some time to be with my family in California. It's good to be back. Boy, the new year. There's, there's so much at this time that we, we use this time, and it's good to, to just refocus and see what is it that, that we're doing and, and, and make fresh plans for the new year. Um, recommit to those things that we've committed to. And, and as a church, it's good for us at this point also to look at what, what is it that God has called us to. So I, I wanted to put up our mission and vision statement as a church. So we just look at that afresh. Um, this is what God has called us to. Our mission statement as a church uh, the reason that we exist as Hope Church is to love God and transform lives by the living hope of Jesus Christ. That comes from what the Lord has commanded, what he's given us in the scripture. To love God, that comes from the great commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And inseparable from that is the second commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself. That, that comes behind that. That's, that's part of why we exist as a church. But then also Jesus gave his disciples uh, the great commission before uh, he ascended into heaven. He said, go into all the world, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. And that's what's behind that transforming lives by the living hope of Jesus Christ is based on that. That's why we exist as a church. Our vision statement, what we see, God has called us to specifically here as a church, is something pretty cool. We're a church of two languages but shares one hope in Jesus Christ. Our vision statement is two languages, one hope, together loving our community. That's what we see here that God has called us specifically to. And, and we've got to see this past year, God growing us into one family that truly shares the hope of Jesus Christ um, and speaks two languages. We have multiple cultures here. You know, as, as we look ahead and we're, we're planning what we're gonna do in this next year, as individuals, we're always looking for those things the, that will help us along the way. Um, this is the month that, that gyms get the most signups. Um, this, is, this is a time that, that everyone's, Pulling in, what, what's the new diet? What's the new way, the, the new plan? You get your new calendar. Whatever it is, this is the time of year that, that that's what we're focused on, grabbing that thing. And I'm sure all of you could probably describe a few essential things in your life that are just, they're absolutely essential for you to survive. And for me, the snooze button's one of them. If I need to get up at 5.30, the, the alarm's going to be set for 5. I've got to be able to go through a couple of cycles of snooze before I really need to get up. Morning coffee, very important in my life. Maybe, maybe you've, you've gone through the getting things done book and, and that whole 
methodology is something that has just made a difference in your life, and so that is important for you to be able to get things done. You know, there are essentials for us as a church, from God's word, for us to be able to thrive in the purpose that God has given us, that we need to have a part of what we do. Principles that we need to stand on and and exercise as a church if we are going to thrive and accomplish what God has given us to do. Those same principles apply to us individually as Christians. If we are gonna thrive in the life that God has given us as a Christian, living in the living hope of Jesus Christ, these are essentials for us. And what we've done as a church is we've taken the letters of hope and we've used those as a way to, to as hooks into God's word for those essentials. Now, you, know, you, could, you can divide it up differently. One of these days, we'll do a series on the letters of Esperanza, but that'll be a longer series, a little more fine-tuned. We're just going to stick with four right now with the letters of hope. And so this series that we're doing is living in the hope, living in the hope of Jesus Christ. What do we need to do? What are the essentials for that? And And this first week, then, is the letter H, hearing with faith, hearing with faith. That's the title of our sermon this morning, and it's vitally important for us to understand and practice that in our life. But before we get into that, let's pray. Father, thank you for this church that you have formed. God, we want to thrive in the purpose that you've given us. We want to thrive individually in the life that you've given us. So God, this morning, I I pray that it would be your word that comes through. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to your truth, that if there's a way that we can apply these principles to our life, a fresh, new way, that you would show that to us and empower us to do it. It's in your holy, precious name we, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So I have found a treasure in this book. There is a treasure found in this book. The treasure in this book has been a part of my life. It has affected positively my marriage. In fact, after 22 years of marriage, I could say if there's a secret that I could give you, Now, after 22 years, loving my wife more than I have ever, it's that treasure that I found in here. That treasure has affected me in the workplace. I haven't always been a pastor. In fact, I've only been a pastor for a year. In the workplace, that has positively affected and transformed my experience and helped and guided me in the workplace. That has been formative in my life. That The treasure found in this book, that treasure is the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God. Is the wisdom of God active in your life? Is it a part of your life? Now, while that has been a part of my life and I've seen it, I've seen the benefit of it. I've tasted and felt the benefit of that treasure in my life. I have struggled with the wisdom of God. I have 
gone out of my way to, to go around the wisdom of God at times even. Why would I do that? That's stupid. But I do. I fought against the wisdom of God. Where does that come from? Well, there's a reason for that. It goes all the way back to the beginning. Go back with me to Genesis chapter three. The fall, Adam and Eve in the garden. Genesis chapter three. In verse six. It's right there in the nature of the temptation to Eve. The serpent has already been there. He's been, part of, his, part of what he's been attacking there is the wisdom of God. He's saying, did God really say you should not eat from, from the trees, tree of the garden? And, and he's, been, he's casting doubt on the wisdom of God. And then he, then he tells them that, that if you eat of it, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And then we have, in verse six, what did Eve see? So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, there was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise. You know, John, uh, in 1 John, he, he gives a sweeping uh, description of what's in the world. And he uses three things. He says, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those, those three things, just about, if not, completely cover every form of temptation that we might run into. And all three of those are right here. She saw that the tree was good for food, the desires of the flesh. It was a delight to the eyes, the desires of the eyes. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, the pride of life, for us to be like God. For us to be the ones to say what's good and what's bad. Who, who had been the one to say what's good and bad up to this point? If, if you've read the creation account, God created light, and he saw that it was good. He was the one saying, this is good. And then, and then what, what did he say was not good? The man should be alone. And then he created woman. And he saw all that he created, and it was very good. God has been the one to say what is good. And if you look, one of the really cool things in that is that you see what he is calling good is everything that he has created as a place for man to dwell. He is creating things that are good, declaring them to be good because they're good for our good. But hear this temptation to be the one to say, on my own, this is what is good. This is what is bad. I want to be the one to determine that. I want to be like God. And they ate of the tree. And that was the disobedience to eat from that tree. But in that disobedience began this contention between the wisdom of man. We are going to be the ones to determine what is good and the wisdom of God. And right there we have this contention that we deal with in the flesh. See, we started building up at that point this foundation of our own understanding. We died spiritually. We could no longer truly understand and comprehend the wisdom of God because God is spirit. 
to know God is a spiritual thing. To know his wisdom is ultimately a spiritual thing. And, and we died spiritually. We were dead in our sin. And so now we started building our own concept of, of what's good and what's right and still built into us. We were creatures created in the image of God. We had this sense of what is right and wrong, but it was sinful at the heart, our heart. We, we were broken in fellowship with God. And so here's God in all of his infinite wisdom. And we've been cast out of the garden, now building on our own foundation of wisdom and understanding. So the first reason, (laughs) really, uh, the reason, the essential reason why we have this issue with the wisdom of God is that for us, God's wisdom is not natural. It's not natural. What, what, what is natural to us, what feels natural to us, is what we have in our sinful state. It's our own wisdom. It's the wisdom of the world. That's what we've grown up with. That's what we understand. That's what feels natural. The wisdom of God is not natural. That's the first point. I've got three points this morning on the wisdom. If you're following in, uh, wisdom is the first fill-in, and this one is, it's not natural. See, even as as God chose a people for himself, after the Garden of Eden, God chose uh, uh, Abraham, and out of Abraham made made the people of Israel, and and that nation, were, they were given the oracles of God. They were given the wisdom of God. They knew. They, they knew that they were to love the Lord God with all their heart, soul, and mind. That their heart needed to be there in fellowship with God. They knew that at the foundation of wisdom of God is the fear of the Lord. They knew that. That was given to them. They were the nation that had the oracles of God. And yet, where did they find themselves? If you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 29, 700 years before Christ came, God sent the prophet Isaiah to the people of Israel. Here's what God said through Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 29 and verse 13. And the Lord said, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Let me read that again. Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. They knew what the fear of the Lord should be. They knew what to say. They knew what is the oracles of God, but their heart was not in it. Where did they stand? They didn't stand here in fellowship with God. They stood here building up for themselves still their own wisdom. And, and their, what they would call the fear of the Lord in practice was not the fear of the Lord. It was what they had set up as the wisdom of man, and that's what their focus, that's where their heart was. It was to fear commandment of man not the Lord himself. This is false religion. This is what we're in danger of falling into because this is natural. 
This is religion. If, if, my, if our church is purely religion, then all we're doing is building up these things that feel natural, feel good, feel right. And we say, no, we need to do these things to earn favor with God. We need to do these things that are the fear of the Lord and, when, and what we're fearing and what we're putting our faith in, what we're putting our trust in is completely over here. It's this thing that we built up ourselves and it's not the Lord God himself. How impossible our situation. So God says, therefore, in verse 14, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people with wonder upon wonder. And the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. Paul later quotes this. We're going to read that in a minute. And, and he connects that it's not just that they will perish. This is God doing it. That God is going to destroy the wisdom of their wise and the, and the discernment of their discerning he's going to thwart. That this is an act of God to, to break down this wisdom that's over here, this wisdom of man, understanding of man. He says, ah, you who hide deep from the Lord your counsel, whose deeds are in the dark and who say, who sees us? Who knows us? Can we hide from God? No. But we presume to. Verse 16, you turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay? Who's the potter? God is the one who creates. God is the potter. He's the one who forms and creates and has the purpose and intention. We are the clay that have been created. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay? That the thing made should save its maker, he didn't make me. That the thing formed, say of him who formed it, he has no understanding. When I really... Stop and think about where we are as humanity today. It's a terrifying thing to think that we stand here on all our great, our great understanding and wisdom and, and, and enlightenment and, and everything that we would say in 2020 is so much greater than any time in the history of the world. What we have built up. And we do stand here and say before God, you didn't create us. And we say before our creator God, you don't have understanding. We have that boldness. It's a terrifying thing to think of the position of mankind. Mankind who is designed to be in fellowship with God who's created in the image of God, to, to be joined with the glory of God. That's who we are, and yet we stand here on our own wisdom, there from the fall. And we say, who are you, God? You are not even God. And we create for ourselves these other things to be things that we serve. I think we like to look down on something as, as, as a God when we can't even see the heights to the wisdom of, of the true God. What is this? The, the Bible describes this as, as a barrier of hostility, that, that what we're deserving of in this position is the wrath of God. That, that we are enemies 
with God. That's what Romans, Romans chapter five describes it as. We're enemies with God. So what did God do 700 years after this was written? In his infinite wisdom, full of his love and grace and mercy and joy, fullness of character, he penetrated this barrier of hostility and sent his son to become a man. From our perspective, foolishness, folly, the weakness of man. And his son then, not standing on the foundation of the wisdom of man, but in perfect obedience to the Father, lived a life in the wisdom of God founded on the fear of the Lord. He was the perfect example of the wisdom of God. He was the wisdom of God. And then he took on himself the wrath that we deserve. So that now, through faith in Christ, this barrier can be reconciled. And so what is this wonder upon wonders? God said, therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people with wonder upon wonder. And the first was to break down this wisdom of man, to destroy it. And then the second we see coming in verse 17 is it not yet a very little while until Lebanon shall be turned into a, a fruitful field and a, the fruitful field shall be regarded as a forest? There's, this is, uh, this is a, a picture of radical change, a forest being turned into a fruitful field and a fruitful field being turned into a forest. There's gonna be moral and spiritual transformation that's gonna be happening. It says, in that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book. The spiritually dead will hear spiritual things. The deaf will hear the wisdom of God. Something incredible that's gonna happen. And out of the gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. Those who are spiritually dead and no longer able to see the glory of God, to see the thing most desirable, to be desired over anything that the world can offer, their eyes will be open to see the glory of God. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord. And the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. Who are the meek and the poor? They're the ones with the least to stand on. They don't have this great tower of wisdom and accomplishment and righteousness that, that, that they see as so vitally important in their life that is really just a tower standing against the wisdom of God. They have already been broken down to the base of that and they're ready to receive Christ. The second point about the wisdom of God is that it's only through Christ. We can't get from here to there any other way except through the provision that God has given us in his son. It is only through Christ. Look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 1.
Verse 18 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. It's foolishness. What is this cross of Jesus Christ? But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And then he quotes from Isaiah, where we were just at. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, what we had over here, what we were building up, our own form of, of right and wrong, we ate from the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, now we can get ourselves to God. No, it's, it's in his wisdom that that didn't work. It pleased God through the folly then of what we preach. What do we preach? We preach, we preach the cross, Christ. Through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ, the power of God and wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. Even the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers, and, the, and right here, it almost seems like he's putting them down, but, but follow, follow him on this. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Does that mean that if, if, if we have wisdom, if we, if we are strong, if we have a lot of money, if, we, if we're rich, if, we, if we've accomplished a lot, that we can't come to know Christ? No. But Jesus said, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God than for a camel to, enter, to go through the eye of a needle. And they said, well, then how is it possible for any of us to be saved? He said, what's? Impossible with man is possible with God. What has to happen? Whatever we hold on to as something that, that could earn us favor with God, whether it's the family that we come from, our heritage, noble birth, if it's the accomplishments we've done in life, it's good deeds that we've done. If we're holding on to that, if attending church this morning in your mind is is earning righteousness before God, somehow gaining favor with God by doing that. That's just here in this realm. It's, it's what we've built on. But, but God brings us low. And God breaks that down and so that, that we step away from that and say, on none of that do I base my salvation. On none of that, none of that can save me. On none of that do I have favor with God but it's only in what God has given me in Christ and we step down off of the wisdom of man and we accept Christ. The further you have to step, yes, it's, it's potentially gonna be more difficult, but who gets us there? It's God. So we see then in verse 28, God, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. You see in this the contention between the, 
the wisdom of God and the wisdom of man, but do you see in it also the grace of God that he would tear down this wisdom, that he would show this to be foolishness so that we can be in a place to receive Christ and put our faith in Christ, who is the foundation of wisdom of God, and then be born again, new, a new creature being built on the wisdom of God, not on the wisdom of man. But we still have this hanging around. The Galatians struggled with the fact that even though they had accepted Christ and they were new creatures in Christ, they still felt like that their growth in Christ needed to be over there. The third point about the wisdom of God is that it is received through hearing with faith. Not through our efforts over here do we receive the wisdom of God. It's received through hearing with faith. Here's our, our foundational principle. Hearing with faith needs to be a part of our life as a church, as individuals. Turn with me to Galatians chapter three. Starting in verse two. Let me ask you only this, Galatians. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Here they are. They've received the Spirit of God. It, it is a work of the Spirit of God in our life to take us from there to here. Did you receive that by, by anything that you accomplished over there? No, it was through faith. You heard the gospel of Christ and you believed. That's how you got from here to here. Hearing with faith. That's what got you there. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Is, is this work over here now going to now perfect you in Christ to build up this new man? No. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? The powerful life, miracle wonderful life that we have, transformation in our life that we have, building up a new life in Christ that we have doesn't come through what we accomplish over here. It comes through hearing the word of God and responding in faith. And who is there putting power into it? It's the Holy Spirit. Hearing with faith. So what does it look like practically? I come to the word of God and open the word of God. Usually, there's, there's these things that, that are surrounding me in my life that are, that are conversations, they're situations, my own sin. And when we come to the word of God, what, what we want to do when we come to God is we, we don't want to have things to confess. We want to we want to please God. That's a good thing to want to please God. But when we come to him and we realize there's all of these things around us that, that are not pleasing to God, things that we've been doing, some, the way that I responded to somebody, the, way, the, the thing that I said or, or the thing that I did is not pleasing to God. And 
And so I really don't want to be asking God for his wisdom. I don't feel like asking God for his wisdom. What do we do in that? Turn with me to James chapter one. There's a promise from God. In verse five, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. I've messed up. I've got things. What, what he wants us to do is to come to him and lay all those things at his feet and say, here, God, I haven't been pleasing to you. I know things already that you have, you have identified in my life that need to change. Your wisdom has already been poured into my life and I've failed. He says, come to me and ask for wisdom and I'm gonna give it to you without reproach. James knew what it was like to, to approach the wisdom of God and, and be concerned about reproach. Jesus, uh, James was a half-brother to Jesus. Did you know that? James, James when, when Jesus was alive, he didn't believe Jesus was the son of God. He was there with Jesus' brother saying, oh, Jesus, you need to go to the Feast of Booths and make a big deal about yourself. They need to see you and see the things that you can do. They were speaking out of the wisdom of men. They didn't believe who he was. But then it says that when Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to James. And that changed James' life. He saw for the first time the wisdom of God. He saw Jesus was not just his brother, but Jesus was his Lord and Savior. And so the beginning of James begins, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he knew what it was to approach God and ask for wisdom and, and to have God freely give him wisdom without reproach. You were the brother of Christ and, and for his whole life on earth didn't believe who he was. And yet without reproach, God gives wisdom freely. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. We need to ask in faith, hearing the word of God in faith. Do you know how to open this book and read it? Statistics say most of us don't. I encourage you, start with the book of James. It's full of the wisdom of God. It, he's you gotta be ready to hear it because he doesn't, he doesn't pull any punches. It's, it's clear, straightforward wisdom of God. He's gonna talk about, you know, this is what real faith is. He's gonna talk about it, it, partiality. We get into partiality of, of you know, racism and all that, but, but he takes it to a whole new level of, of what our heart needs to be as far as considering one person above another. He'll really dig into it. James is only like, I think in my Bible, like five pages. It's not that hard. You could pick it up, you could read it and set it down, that'd be great. You could pick it up and you could start underlining and, and, and highlighting and saying, you know, here's a promise of God. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. 
who gives freely without reproach, and, and underline that. And then and maybe another highlighter can say, well, there's a condition to that. I need to ask it in faith without doubting. So maybe in a different color, underline the conditions. You could outline this, and, and that would be great to do all of those. We need to dig deep into the Word of God. But don't miss opening the Word of God and first taking all that stuff that surrounds you and laying it at His feet. And saying, God, teach me from your word. Convict my heart. Some stuff won't even stick out. And other stuff will cut real deep. What's the difference? It's hearing with faith. We need to live a life in Christ, hearing his word in faith. Let's worship the Lord together. Suffering servant, Jesus Christ. King of kings, Jesus Christ. God, you sent your son to rescue the world. You sent your son to save sinners. God, thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the life that we have in him. Thank you for the joy and the peace that we have in our lives because of the life that we have in you. God, I pray that you would encourage everyone here to have a renewed desire to dig into your word, God. There is treasure in there that must be worked for, that must be dug for, that, that, that we can't just get without spending time in it, God. So I just pray that you would, you would put in us a fresh desire to press into your word, to gain from it your wisdom in our lives. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would guide us in that, that you would make that fruitful so that we would understand things not just intellectually, but in a way that's spiritually that will transform us to be like the image of your Son. Thank you, Lord, for this year that you have given us ahead. God, let us live it in a way that glorifies you. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen.